0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning. So glad you have chosen to worship here at Grace Community Church on this Sunday morning. I hope that you are as I was doing earlier this morning are affirming all that is being said. The announcements, the, the words that we sing, music, the prayer time. Truth is being shared all service long. And it's an opportunity for us to say over and over in our hearts, I believe, I believe. And if we need to say, I believe, help my unbelief, then we can pray it like that as well. Just wanted to mention discovery lunch. If you are new to Grace, relatively new, you've never been to a discovery lunch. It's going to be with the elders and staff after the service. Even if you haven't signed up, please stay, please stay, and uh, get to know us, and we'll get to know you just a little bit. We'll look forward to that. Well, John Woodhouse has written, "quote One of the most difficult lessons for human beings to learn." is that we are not up to the task of ruling the world. Again and again, we are deceived into hoping that a new leader, government, political system, economic program, foreign policy, or something will provide the answers that the world and its communities need. The disappointments that inevitably follow do not seem to have the power to teach us That the resources of humanity are simply inadequate to resolve the dilemmas of humanity. Close quote. Well, this morning we're going to read a familiar story from the Old Testament. The story of David and Bathsheba. It will remind us to put our hope in God rather than man. And it will also encourage us to preach the gospel to ourselves... Every day, because we need to hear the gospel every day, knowing that our only hope of relationship with God, whether the initial relationship or the close relationship that a believer has with our brother Jesus, I love that Lee said that, comes through repentance and trust in a merciful God. We'll read much from 2 Samuel 11 and 12, but there will be... Several important observations and applications. So if you would, please stand for the lengthy reading of God's word this morning. Second Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam the wife of Uriah the Hittite Oh, she's married, David said. Never mind. No, we wish that's the way the story went. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And he did not go down to his house. So whenever soldiers were at battle or preparing for battle, they abstained from intimate relations. And so Uriah's like, I'm on duty. I'm staying here at at the edge of the house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Remain here today. Also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to the husband of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him. And so that there's no mistaking what I'm asking you, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises and he says to you, Why did you go near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would be sh- that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall, so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go down near the wall, so near the wall? Then you shall say, "Your servant Uriah is dead also." So the messengers, the messenger went and told, went and came and told David all that Joab had sent to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gathered, gained an advantage over us and came back against us on the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite Is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now, and the sword devours one, and now one, and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, She lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. It feels almost wrong to bless the Lord for this portion of Scripture. But it's right that we do so. This was written for our benefit. This was King David, a man after God's own heart. The sweet psalmist of Israel. A merciful and gracious man. One who overlooked the sins of others and gave God the glory for all the battles that he had won. And all the good things that happened in his life. Even so... The one who wrote so many of the songs, and whom we love as much as anyone in Scripture, not only stole another man's wife, but he also committed murder to cover his sin. We're looking at this from way forward in the future, way back we're looking, and we've seen how it all ends. But if you were alive in this day and you knew what had happened, you would be disgusted, horribly disturbed. Not only did he steal another man's wife, he committed murder to cover his sin. So just a few observations from what we have read. First, even though David was not required to be with the troops when they went to war, he left himself in a vulnerable position in Jerusalem with very little to no accountability for his actions. David's palace was likely Located at the highest point in Jerusalem, and so he had a good vantage point looking down on all the other homes and buildings in the city. Bathsheba was it has so often been painted as one who was tempting David, who knew that not, almost certainly not it was in an enclosed courtyard. There was no indoor water, uh, so she would have been in an enclosed courtyard. Not visible to anyone except possibly this palace, the roof on the palace where David was. Gentlemen and ladies, as the case may be. The temptation to look is intense in a day where there is a lot to see. And it's easy to see it. One word of advice. Don't. I know you have it all figured out in your mind. The risks are manageable because you have established limits and you won't go past a certain line. You think you can play with fire because you know where to stop. But before you know it, you've sinned and others have been hurt. You are in as much control of your circumstances as David he was until he received the word from Bathsheba, I am pregnant. Now again, it's highly unlikely Bathsheba was seeking to entice the king. In a democratic society, especially with the kinds of messages that we get today, you would think, well, surely she could have... No, in a monarchy, the king said something you did it. He went to her. Who knows how it developed from there? Uriah, who was not even an Israelite, he was a resident foreigner committed to Yahweh and to Yahweh's wonderful servant king, King David. Uriah's name means Yahweh is my light. And this foreigner behaved far more admirably than Yahweh's chosen the king. The king with whom God had made an everlasting covenant. We are saved because God made a covenant with David. And through him the Messiah would come. Jesus from not only David but Bathsheba as we'll See, as it continues to twist and turn, Uriah was far more righteous. David's disregard for both Bathsheba and Uriah feels very much like Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Eve saw and desired what she saw. She saw that it was good and she desired it. It was a delight to her eyes, and she took it and ate. David saw and desired and took that which did not was not righteous for him to take and sinned. This David, who had twice refused to harm Saul when it was in his power to kill the one who was trying to kill him now fell in a way that we all understand, even if we would never do such. Did you expect David to fall at this point in the story? If you're reading through, is this what you would have anticipated from him? No, you you would have anticipated the opposite. Do you suppose David ever thought that he would fall in such a spectacular way? Perhaps if David and Bathsheba had lived in our day, they would have been told that their behavior was acceptable because the only barrier to intimate activity is lack of consent. And they're working on that, by the way. Furthermore, there would be ways of dealing with an unanticipated pregnancy today. But the consequences of sexual sin are no less devastating in our day than they were In David's day, to those who participated in adultery. Even if the repercussions are not as swift or as public as they were in David's case. As we learned in 1 Corinthians 6, 6, every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but he who commits immorality... Sexual immorality, sins against his own body. After murdering Uriah to cover his own sin, David brought Bathsheba to live with him and to have the baby and hope that the people were really poor mathematicians in the castle, or at least that they wouldn't put two and two together with Uriah's death. Yahweh knew everything, though, and the last verse of chapter 11 says it. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So this is where we pick up our story in chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. Which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And by the way, if you do that, that's disgusting, by the way. I'm, I'm just, just kidding, just kidding. Lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. David was really into this story. This happens all the time, doesn't it? We're really into the story, and then the Lord opens our eyes, and we're like, oh me, I'm undone. Not just to us, but to those who don't know Christ. You think it's hopeless, but all of a sudden, the Lord of the Holy Spirit says what Nathan said to David. You are the man... Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the house or the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. He didn't say you had Uriah killed. He didn't say Joab had him killed. He said, you struck him down with with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Okay, now there's the sword of the Ammonites. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of his son, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son in front of everybody. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So I want to pause here to mention here we, we see the compassionate, merciful, protective, honoring side of David in his fury with the man who had, had had so much and yet broke the heart of a man who only had one small lamb. There were going to be consequences. There were serious consequences for David. We don't have time to go into this morning that happened years later. And it would last. For generations. But God forgave David. Why would he do that? Had not David done worse than his predecessor, King Saul? Let's take a moment and compare the two. So similarities and differences between King Saul and King David. King Saul was chosen by God to lead Israel. King David, chosen by God to replace Saul. Both were chosen by God, but you don't want to be in the position of being replaced by another. Second, Saul refused to wait for Samuel, King David, distracted by Bathsheba. Saul offered a sacrifice uh, to the Lord because the military situation looked bad and Samuel had promised to come, but he hadn't arrived yet. So so Saul took matters into his own hands and he sacrificed an animal in a religious sort of way. David, in his leisure, was distracted by a beautiful woman and took matters into his own hands in a very carnal way. Third, Saul let a guilty man live. King David put an innocent man to death. I mean, it's looking good for Saul right now, that's what I'm thinking, you know? Not so much David. God, through Samuel, had ordered Saul to destroy a city of Amalek and its peoples and all their possessions. But Saul spared King Agag and some of the best possessions of the city, including animals. Saul... Let the guilty man live while David put an innocent man to death. He killed the man whose name means Yahweh is my light. Remind me, why do we think of Saul and David as we do? It's the last point. Saul justified his disobedience. King David repented and asked, begged would be more appropriate begged for mercy this is the key we all sin and sometimes we're horrified with ourselves because of the sins that we have committed when we sin after we sin even when we commit those sins we thought never in the in our my wildest imagination could i have seen myself doing that When we sin, we have a choice. Either justify our sin, excuse our sin, or repent and ask God for mercy. Let's continue in the story. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the house of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. But he would not. Just, no, leave me alone. I'm, I'm wallowing here begging God in prayer. Nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold. While the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. Then David. Oh, but when David saw that the servants were whispering together, he understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me <laughs> that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he will not return to me. By the way, one of those places that gives us much hope for children who die in the womb. Or, or before they have opportunity to know um, whether to trust Christ or to reject Christ or not. This baby was born out of an adulterous relationship, and yet David says, I'll see him. I'll go to him. David prayed to a merciful God. He prayed that God would alleviate the consequences of his sin. When the Lord did not answer David's request as it was given, and the child died, The king got up to wash and to anoint himself, change his clothes, go into the house of the Lord and worship. And then he went home to eat. Some of you have been in David's posture of grief and agony before the Lord. You are devastated that you were capable of the sin that you committed. 15 years ago. Or you cannot believe that you made such a monumental mistake at work that led to your firing. Or that you were indiscreet or that you said what you did to someone that you love very much. And now a relationship has been broken. Or maybe a relationship has been broken not apart from anything that you have said or done. But you still wonder what you have done wrong. Maybe it's time to get up and wash your face, worship the Lord, and then go to lunch and leave a good tip. Why don't we take just a moment? Would you close your eyes? Is there some nagging heartbreak because of you because of someone else that is your constant companion is your heartbreak before you Isn't it time to let it go If you have repented from your sin rather than justifying it, according to God's Word, He has forgiven you. The broken relationship that you grieve, that you wonder what you've done wrong is probably not your fault. And even if it is, God has forgiven you. Worship the Lord. Amen. Leave it. Leave it. Verse twenty four. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and went into her and lay with her. She bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Somehow the Lord let this baby live, but he's putting up, no. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan, the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord, Because of the Lord. And the Lord loved Solomon. That has to be one of the most breathtaking verses in all scripture. As for God's will, who can make sense of this? Last week in our home group, we were discussing how to discern God's will. One of the ladies in our home group said, I'm reading through the Bible this year, and I have discovered that I don't know God as well as I thought I knew God. That's a profound insight. It's the first step in understanding God much better is to recognize that you don't understand and know this God nearly as well as you think you do. And so the best thing you can do is not so much figure him out, but trust him. That he is good and gracious and sovereign. And it's not that God is inconsistent because he acts one way here and another way here. He's certainly not unrighteous. But he is much bigger than we understand and think he is. It's no different than a child of three years old who argues with you his or her logic for 20 minutes and you're like no I'm no and I'm sorry sweetheart and then you try to explain well that's kind of us when we can't figure out God so we just blame him how do we know that this god is much bigger than we are because the lord loved solomon And we are here today as brothers and sisters of our Savior Jesus in God's plan, Solomon and Bathsheba, or Solomon in the line from David and Bathsheba. What's the point of this story? That we should do better and guard against temptation? That is certainly one point, but it's far from the most important insight. The reality is that we are all undependable and out of control of our lives as David was. We are capable of the most heinous sin. May God deliver you from that for the rest of your days. But we are all capable of the most heinous sin which is why it is unwise to jump on social media to affirm yourself and to call anyone who disagrees with you a fraud and a danger to society. I don't care who you are, how right your cause is, and how wrong the other cause is. The problem is me. London Times put out a survey many, many, many years ago, about 100 years ago maybe, somewhere in there and they said what is problem what is wrong with society and people wrote in all kinds of things gk chesterton wrote dear editors the problem is me sincerely gk chesterton the danger lies within our hearts, and it is only God's mercy that will deliver us from the destruction that we deserve, both now and after. King Saul sought to justify himself while David crumpled to the floor when Nathan confronted him. And then 2 Samuel twelve thirteen. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. The Lord has put away your sin. The Lord has taken care of your sin. The Lord has done something about your sin. The law of Moses promised That if one if anyone obeyed the law, that one would live. And yet we have already acknowledged that none of us can keep the law before or after Jesus. King David represented God's chosen people, but like Adam and Eve, if we are dependent on our good behavior, we're doomed. And if you say, I don't know, I think I've got a pretty good... Well, just hang on. You'll see. We need a representative of the people who is completely obedient. Enter, literally, Jesus. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of a woman. Jesus became one of us. And his obedience is our only hope. Not only his obedience, but his sacrifice. His death on the cross is payment for our sins. When we read a story like the one that we have read today, we're tempted to pray, Lord, save me from myself. But the better prayer is, Lord, save me from yourself. I've sinned. It's too late. And you cannot tolerate sin. God needed to save us from himself, which he did at the cross. Jesus came through David's line and although his sacrifice had not yet been made when David sinned in this way, Romans 3 tells us that the Lord in the Old Testament days overlooked the sins of those who trusted in him because he knew That the cross was in the future. A lot of people say, well, in the New Testament, we're looking back to the cross. In the Old Testament, they were looking toward the cross. The Old Testament folks didn't get the cross at all. And they would have said, no, no, that's the craziest thing I've heard. Until it was finally accomplished and explained and we understand it. It wasn't that the Old Testament folks were looking to the cross. But God was looking to the cross. And he knew that Jesus was going to be the one that would pay for David's sin against Bathsheba, against Joab, against, against um, uh, Uriah, against the entire nation. Jesus' blood became a propitiation for sins or a full and complete removal Of the sins of all who believe. If you have never repented of your sin. And asked Jesus to save you based on his death. Maybe this is a good time to do that. Right now in your heart just say. Lord I'm a sinner. I confess. Thank you that Jesus died for me. I believe. Come into my life and save me. If you are a believer and you have sinned like David, or maybe not even anywhere close to David, but it feels like that kind of sin, whether it was three days ago or 30 years ago, you confess your sin and rest in God's forgiveness. And if you've confessed and truly repented, don't even do that. Just rest in His forgiveness. I'm going to ask us to stand and I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to observe and learn take notes you may need to take notes in your mind Psalm 51 David's repentance this is what he prayed after Nathan confronted him have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Which doesn't mean it was an adulterous relationship. It just means I, I, I sin is part of my nature. I, I got it when I was conceived. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter. And snow, that feels a little presumptuous until you know the Lord's mercy. White as snow, David said, make me. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. I just have to say this. Because we're going to sing it in just a moment. David is not saying, Lord, don't let me lose my salvation. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon particular servants of the Lord for a time. And then he would be removed. It didn't mean that they were not believers who would be in heaven with the Lord. It just meant the Holy Spirit had not yet come to indwell his people. When he came at Pentecost, ever since then, we received the Holy Spirit at the time of our uh, conversion. And Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 1 13 or 14, I think it's 14, says that he, the Holy Spirit, is the earnest or the non refundable down payment of our salvation. David lived before Christ, before the Holy Spirit had come. He wouldn't have known who the Holy Spirit was. He would thought this was an extension of God or it's just God's spirit working among him. In other words, he was saying, "Don't turn away from me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me Go to graceccnc.org.